The statements made in this podcast are meant to be taken strictly as opinion and not as statements of fact or evidence in the cases discussed. This episode of Scarlet contains graphic details about decomposing bodies and violence against children. Listener discretion is advised. Sherman and Sonia Mazzaleone are talking about the Casey Anthony saga. There's been so much covered about this. Well, it's what, 10, 11 years old. 2008 is when it originally happens, when Kaylee went missing. It feels like it was so much earlier than that. I feel like this was like a 1990s story that happened. And, but if you're right, it wasn't actually that long ago. That would have put me just moving to, wait, no. I would have been eight. No, that was when I moved to LA. Yeah, I would have been here in LA for 10 years, which is why I was not paying attention. Other than the fact that it happened in Orlando, which is my hometown. And um, and all sorts of crazy shit happens in Orlando and Florida. Uh, but there's definitely an underbelly to Orlando. College life there is, you know. And I mean, that's where UCF is. That's where UCF is. It's bigger, bigger school now. When I yeah, went there, it was sure. much smaller. I mean, everything was like dirt parking lots, dirt, everything. It was awful. Um, it was a small school. But now, I mean... You know, obviously they're doing real with their football team, but it's still the same. Underplay national champions. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the South and just being in a place where it's hot in general. People get really sweaty, and then they start doing a lot of drugs and they start drinking, and it just all goes downhill from there. You see so many weird things happen. I don't know what it is. The heat that will mess with people. I mean, dehydration does crazy things to people. (laughs) I don't. I don't think. I don't think Casey Anthony though. I don't think what happened to her is a result of the drugs and the alcohol and the party. I think she's calculating. I think that this was, if not completely planned out, and of course we'll get to all the theories and everything, this wasn't a, I don't think this was a drunken mistake. I don't think this was no. a whim that happened. I agree. I, well, I don't, I, it's not necessarily a whim. It was unplanned, but I don't, I'm not even sure if it wasn't just an accident. Um, but there are so many weird, weird pieces to this. And, and all you can think of is if it was, if she wasn't guilty, why'd she lie about it? You know, I mean, the lies, so many lies and for so long and they never stopped. Well, if you had an accident, which is what it appears may have happened. One of the theories anyway, that, you know, what's wrong with just saying it was an accident, unless you were doing something in the moment that the accident happened that you could get in trouble for, which, you know, that kind of was her MO. You know, what is the point in lying and just saying she, she drowned? Well, yeah, obviously that is kind of her biggest defense theory, her family's defense, more or less. Uh, but, okay, so so let's back up a little bit. This was obviously huge news. It happened in 2008, went to trial, it really, officially, in 2011. Uh, Kaylee went missing, and it was it was everywhere. It was... The trial of the century, 15 years after OJ, so pretty fast how we had two of those within 15 years. Uh, I mean, I absolutely hated this, but I remember it and it's so vivid. 
she had the name all around thanks to Nancy Grace of the top mom. Like that uh, was just her. Why was she called the top mom? I don't remember. I don't know because Nancy Grace came up with it and Nancy Grace loves headlines. She likes to yell. She yelled that <laughs> name a lot. And, and that was most of what I heard about it. My mom was, I did not remember this until just recently when I talked to her about it, but she said she watched this case. Um, my mom's 85 now and she watched this case um, every minute of it, she said, and it was on the local cable network. So she got up and every day she watched the whole trial. And, um, you know, it was just, it was really close to home because I have people who were close to it and I knew exactly the areas where they were talking about where they lived, where they found the ch child's body. I mean, it, it was really close to home. And um, I think that's where we back up and we kind of go back to the beginning, at least of how this first came to fruition. So we've got our timeline. June 15th, 2008, um, Kaylee Anthony was last seen with her great-grandfather and an assisted living. Apparently that is the last day that anyone saw Kaylee alive. Outside of the immediate family. Her, Kaylee's mom, Casey, of course, and Casey's grandparents, or Casey's parents, Kaylee's grandparents, saw her alive the next morning, or so they reported. So on the 16th. Okay, yes. on, on June 16th. Officially the date that she went missing. Got it. And I think there's a little discrepancy, you're right, and there's a little discrepancy there on when, I think Cindy would know what time she last saw her, and then the, the father, Kaylee, or Casey's father, she, he had a different remembrance, whether it was 12 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever right. it was. Um, and then all of a sudden, I think Casey and Kaylee go missing, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Kind of. So... This is already where it just, it gets insane because you're at right, the timeline starts where Casey wakes up mid morning, late morning, says she sees her dad around 12, 1230, something like that, and is taking Kaylee to daycare so she can go to work. So Casey can go to work at Universal Studios, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah, <it's two. laughs> uh, must so be so lines. hard. <laughs> uh, so George claims that he sees them leaving the house and that is roughly the last time that Kaylee is seen alive. So this is where the timeline already starts to get messed up. Casey says she's going to work. Cell phone pings essentially say that she either one, never left the house or two, left the house but stayed in the neighborhood. I mean, it's 2008, so cell phone identification location isn't exactly what it is now, but it was still pretty good. It could hone in pretty specifically where she was. So if she mm. wasn't at the Anthony home, she was pretty close to it. And George is saying that she left. So that's what we essentially have to go on. Did she go? It, were there any other areas around her home where she would have gone besides her own home? Like, would she have gone to a neighbor's or did someone le live by them? So there was some sort of relationship with the neighbors. I don't know for sure that they were close enough that Casey would have actually gone next door to visit with them. They come up later in the story <laughs> where they say that Casey very strangely approached them and asked to borrow a shovel, which they thought was very out of character. Why would Casey need a shovel? Why wouldn't she just use a shovel that the family had there are some weird things the family had a history of burying pets in their yard so if a pet died but I don't think a pet died I don't have any record that there actually had any pets at that time hmm. 
So if she did leave the house, if she did go to a neighbor's or if she just stayed in her car nearby, it's pretty evident that she didn't go to work. What she did with Kaylee is to be determined, but we know that she came back home because there was activity on the family computer. So was Kaylee's daycare near their home and within that perimeter of the cell phone ping? I don't think so, but I don't, don't actually know. Yeah. I, I took it as it was actually closer to Universal where Casey <laughs> where, she does, to work. where she doesn't actually <laughs> right. work. Got it. Well, that would make perfect sense that she's going there every day yeah, or not. Exactly. Okay. So we established that that's the last time anyone say they saw Kaylee alive. Yes. Um, a variety of things happen over the next month, um, but what doesn't happen is nobody sees Kaylee. Uh, and I think that's pretty apparent. What it sounded to me was that Kaylee, Casey kept pushing her parents off because they kept wanting to see um, their granddaughter. And she kept saying, oh, we're here, we're there. She went on trips. We should establish that Casey had lived at home up until real recently. And she spent a week with her new boyfriend. And then she moved in with her best friend, Amy Hazinga. So she moved Kaylee with her. Which yeah. is okay, I'm strange, kind of, but the, the strangest part to me is, I guess, sure, Casey at the time was 22 years old, she wanted to move out on her own, whatever, I don't know what her reasons there were, but to your point about no one had seen Kaylee, we've talked about this, I don't understand how for 31 days, no one raised the flag Where's this two-year-old child? Uh, well, I mean, that's that's the weird part. And, and in that month as well, where was Casey? Because her mom said, so on July 15th, next point in the timeline is where Cindy calls, Casey's mom calls the police and says, um, my daughter is here. I want someone to come and arrest her. She's still in a car. She's still in money. Um, and the car smells like a dead body. Bing, bing, bing. The police, of course, are, you know, infl that inflames them. They get over there quickly. Um, and then that's where the conversation starts and this, this pickup of, of Casey. So right before that, it sounded like, and so you wonder, okay, Casey obviously wasn't there the whole time. She had walked in because her father had called her and said, whatever's happening, you, you know, given her, given her an ultimatum and said, you have to come and tell us what's really going on. And that was when she finally showed up there. So, yes, kind of. There, a little more backstory behind that. Casey did all sorts of very suspicious things in the 31 days before the police were called, including stealing her parents' car, allowing it to run dead in the middle of the road. It was then towed. The tow yard reported, one reported to the police, Two reported that it had a very strong odor coming from it. The police notified the family, the Anthony family, George and Cindy came and picked up the car and then actually called the police after, to your point about George indicating, hey, you have to tell us what's going on, but called the police because she stole the car. So wasn't that the car that she always drove? So what's always strange to me in this case, and, and I... I I'm like, she stole the family car. She stole the car that she was driving, that they gave her permission to drive. And is this one of those situations where you've got a 22-year-old girl living at home, 
who's in under complete control of her parents. Um, you know, and she, they're essentially, you know, when she doesn't act in the way that they want, you know, they say she's stealing the car versus just using it when things are normal. So I don't, it, it, did they not have another car? Because it sounded to me like that car was either she was using it or was assigned to her. Because then if we're saying, oh, it's that we found a dead body and a smell of dead body in the car, isn't, well, why are they not more concerned because it is their car? Well, in addition, I would think, I, I don't know if it was her car or not, but Kaylee's car seat was in the back seat. Okay. So it was certainly a car that if it wasn't Casey's car, if it wasn't assigned to her by the family, it was certainly one that was used frequently to transport Kaylee. Right. So I agree. It, it raises some weird questions, but I think if nothing else, it might be why it, possibly why it was reported stolen is because Casey had been moved out. She wasn't living there. And there was evidence of breaking back into the house and taking a gas can right. to fill up the car. So at the very least, it may have been a ploy just to get Casey's attention because I would highly suspect it wasn't Casey's car. It was probably a family car that was then towed and the family were trying to get a hold of Casey and this was the best way to do it. Got it. That's a suspicion. It seems like a logical option. Got it. Okay, so on July 15th, Cindy calls the police. It, the, the shit hits the fan, essentially, and they finally got Casey to in the house to a point where she's supposed to answer the question, where have you been and where's, your, where's our granddaughter? And which she finally breaks down and says she's been kidnapped and she's fake crying or whatever she does that, you know, she magically tells a lie, which is pretty unbelievable in the scheme of things. And I think what will established over the this conversation is how great a liar she actually was. She took people to the nth degree <laughs> in her lies, um, you know, from having a job and walking them into the building and then all getting to the end of the corridor and saying, oops, I don't have a job or oops, I didn't do this. Or, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm seven months pregnant. And previously to this. And I'm a virgin. And I'm a virgin. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, let's establish that July 15th, this is when that moment happens. Cindy calls the police. Uh, I'm not mistaken. The police come. They have a conversation with Casey. Even on the 911 call, Cindy says that the 911 operator wants to talk to Casey. Casey gets on the phone and flatly, you know, just is able to convey this message that, yes, my daughter, she's been kidnapped. I don't know. And, you know, even even in the, this first conversation, she just sounds really flippant and annoyed that she even has to talk to the police about it. Yeah. Casey, if you watch interviews with her, honestly, even if you just see pictures of her, she has an altered affect. It's there's something I almost feel like the synapses aren't connecting. And oh, she's definitely got problems for sure. And it, I think even her mom and her dad will readily admit that, you know, and this may be part of trying to smooth things over. And I, and I don't want that to be misconstrued when I say that as that Casey's unintelligent. Quick little aside, backstory. Casey does not have a high school diploma. She reportedly was a pretty good high school student. She was expected to graduate. So weeks before graduation, Casey stopped attending high school but never told anyone. So as graduation was approaching, Cindy started asking Casey, 
hey, where's your cap and gown? Why haven't I gotten any information from the school? And Casey lies to her, says, oh, there was a mix-up. It's all fine. Don't worry. It'll get taken care of the day of graduation. Just before graduation, Cindy finds out that Casey hasn't been attending and cannot graduate. She will not get a diploma. But that doesn't deter Casey from going to graduation. No one else in the family knows. Only Cindy and Casey know. So she goes to graduation, dressed in regular street clothes, walks across the stage, but doesn't get a diploma. Well, I think the important part about this and what you just said is it's is all along the way here, the lies that Casey tells, even prior to Kaylee, but even through this missing moment, Cindy appears to be a bit compliant in these conversations. And she... She maybe she doesn't know about the lie and what the lie entails, but when she finds out, she definitely you know falls in line and is supportive of, of Casey. And and you can see that in these in the in the recordings of Cindy talking to Casey when she's in jail, and it's this really strange eye contact that, contact that happens, and it's you know Casey saying, oh, "Come on, mom, like you're asking me things that you already know the answer to." And that was what I really felt that she was saying to her with her, her facial, you know, her eyes. I mean, everything was, you know, don't go down this road because you know what happened. Getting back to the timeline, we know that July 15th, that's when the police were called. July 16th, Casey is officially charged. And leading up to her arrest, more lies come out. Casey's official explanation for where Kaylee is is that the day that Keeley went missing, Casey dropped her off at her regular nanny, Zanny the nanny, <laughs> Zanita Fernandez Gonzalez. So the uh, police say, okay, well, cool. Take us to Zanny's house and we'll question her. So they go to Zanny's house. Zanny's not there. Kaylee says, well, I went back to pick her up after work and Zanny refused to give her to me right there don't you call the police immediately <sighs> you would think so this is where I, I i think that casey mixes in truth and lies there may have been something happened not necessarily with zanida because she says that they don't even know each other but i think that this was the impression of something that may have actually happened so if zanida really does or someone has this kid then you know why would they why what would casey be doing so I want to talk a little bit, now that we know that Casey's in jail, she's been arrested. They start looking at Casey's past. They start looking at the history of the family. The relationship obviously has got some interesting um, God components to it. The way that the family works, George and his life. Evidently, George wanted to be, a, from childhood, wanted to be a, um, a character at a theme park. Uh, he was a policeman for a while, and then he was actually a private security guard after that. I feel like this family's from New York or upstate. I don't know. They seem like know. they seem like they're they, in Florida. There are a lot of New Yorkers. A lot of people from the Northeast moved down to Florida, so it wouldn't surprise me. But they definitely have an accent that's not Florida, <laughs> and so maybe that was there. So you've got George and his life. Uh, he was married prior to Cindy. He, hang on, back up. I'm still on this. He wanted to be a character at a theme park. Yeah. So George was 
you know, at first glance, I think, oh, he's an all right looking guy. You know, he seems like he's got it together. Yeah. But apparently he's had some challenges in his life. Uh, his own father fired him from the family business. Okay. And so he then became a police officer. That went fine. Uh, and then evidently when you're secure, you, a lot of police officers, officers will transition into security work because as a police officer, you automatically get paid a higher rate. So there, there's that. Um, and he was actually, I forget where he was a security guard, but he was actually, when this happened, he was a security guard at some private um, agency. So you've got George and then you've got Cindy, who's a nurse. And then what we really never know about very much is the brother Lee, right? Lee doesn't come up much at all, which is probably good for him. I mean, that, unless he's really not involved, you know, saving the trouble of having to live a life of Casey's as my sister. Possibly, it's reported that Casey and Cindy were extremely close. They were best friends, mother and daughter. To be honest, I didn't even know that she had a brother until late in my research into this. That's how far I feel like he is separated from this case. Yeah, the only thing I really knew about him was that he's not Kaylee's father, uh, yeah, and there was that's a, a conversation we'll have. Yeah, I mean, and there was a conversation in the trial about, you know, abuse, but, um, you know, I think it was just, you know, Casey trying to do anything she could to get out of the situation. After Casey takes the officers to Zanny the Nanny's place, no success there, the officers then say, all right, we'll retrace your steps. Take us to work. Universal Studios. And as we mentioned... Casey hasn't worked there. She hasn't worked there in years, as a matter of fact. Sonia, you've worked at Universal. First off, I don't understand why they let anybody in to let in, and let her walk in to show anybody where the... I'm, I'm, she straight up walked into an office building, talked her way through security, and took the officers to an office where she claimed she worked. Yeah, and I think part of this, honestly, was that there were officers with her. That's the key, because if she was Joe Blow, you can't get into Universal Studios no, like that. exactly. But I think the the officers definitely helped them, you know, help guide this a bit and let them in. And, you know, as what everybody says, you know, the craziness of her walking some of these officers in through buildings, through many, many doors. This is so-and-so's office. Hey, hello to people. She didn't know. You know, and then finally getting to the very end of a corridor and saying, um, sorry, you're right. I actually don't work here. And, you know, what's amazing is you have to understand or try, I can't understand the kind of person who would lead someone on a lie that far down a road. Because in my life, my biggest fear is getting caught in lies. Not, you know, and not that you tell lies a lot, but... I could never imagine knowing from the beginning that I was telling a lie that I could ever get caught in. That to me is terrifying. And for her to take it to that degree, it's, it means that she has absolutely no fear and no conscience in doing that. Yeah, I agree. One thing that always puzzled me, though, it was almost like a game to the police officers. They knew this whole time she never worked at <laughs> Universal. All right. So back to Casey and her and her her magical lie telling. Um, which is obviously indicative of some kind of, you know, you know, criminal mind. Ted, Ted Bundy, you know, all your famous, you know, criminals, they, you know, they would, they would spin these, you know, these tales. And it was just amazing that they just sounded so, so very much like they believed in themselves. And I think that was the way that they could really get others to. I think the difference there, 
Ted Bundy had almost a cult-like following of women. He was attractive. He was charming. He was intelligent. No one's going to accuse Casey Anthony of being a member of Mensa. No, no, not at all. But as I just... And I walked in, you know, and I was playing the podcast and these guys are about Casey Anthony and it's sort of a frat party environment. They're talking about how hot she is. And that was brought up in that podcast many times. And I found it fascinating that that's still an important thing to talk about, whether it's making fun of her or whatever. But um, at the end of the day, I think someone thinks she's attractive and, and evidently pretty persuasive. Yeah, she's very persuasive, almost to the point of, I don't know sociopathic to a certain extent and, oh. and i think that speaks back to the flat affect i was referencing yeah and her attractiveness i think ultimately that might have played a factor in the result of the trial oh absolutely uh, i mean no doubt i you know when you watch her in the in the courtroom she definitely is different than all the pictures and the pictures where she's partying and she's doing her hot bod contest with her boyfriend dj anonymous which is the dumbest name i've ever heard because why do you want to be anonymous if you're a dj um and his friend clint uh from long island who uh essentially were probably you know i think driving some of this at least you know her, her personality had changed over time as she had met these guys. Evidently, she was a strong, she believed strongly in marijuana. She didn't actually smoke. She, you know, would chastise her friends for smoking pot. And then all of a sudden, when she started hanging out with whatever, Joey something, Joey whatever, and Clint, you know, she wanted to start partying and she wanted to start, you know, living, living the more fun life. And that was probably right around the time where Kaylee had, you know, wasn't in the picture because it's easier to live that kind of life without a child. We know the lies. We know the change in personality. We know the police know that she's full of it. <laughs> Which must so, have been so fun for them. I mean, I feel like <laughs> game seriously now we're <laughs> now casey's in a corner she's arrested she hires an attorney jose Baez. she has her first day in court of course pleads not guilty at this point kaylee's only missing so mm -hmm. she's initially charged with neglect the child endangerment her bond is set at five hundred thousand dollars then the judge ultimately decides to ban release to all media. As you can imagine, hot girl in Florida. <laughs> the media is all over it. Um, Missing little adorable blonde hair toddler. The heart of America <laughs> at this point. So the judge says no one's allowed in. Which I think maybe goes against Casey. I think Casey liked the attention. Oh, absolutely. By the way, I just want to make sure that we call out that the first judge was actually taken off the case because <laughs> he was right. talking to a blogger. <laughs> so the second judge, because, uh, you know, God forbid somebody talks to the media, I, you know, let's not talk to the media at all. So I am sure that that sort of propelled this into a non-media or attempting to be non-media. Plus, how were they ever going to find a jury? Um, and I think ultimately what they did is they brought a jury in. Since the media was blocked from courtroom proceedings, I don't know how they found out, but it was leaked to the media, probably through her attorney, maybe through someone else attached to the case, maybe her family, that her defense was going to be 
Kaylee Drone. So at this point, Casey has not been charged with murder. They don't even know that she's dead, but there's all of a sudden speculation out there that she drowned in the family pool. Why would there be speculation? Why would that have gotten out if she's not even dead yet? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. So who would have, who would, who would be compelled to leak that kind of thing? Who would benefit from that information? That's really the, you know, and that, I mean, ultimately Casey, because that's going to be her defense. Right. So likely it would have been a defense theory. But, you know, I think lots of people were talking about the, the, the pool and the ladder and mm-hmm. how, you know, those things happen all the time in Florida. It's hot. Casey and the dad were alone at the house together with Kaylee, and that he was the last one that saw her. I'm not surprised, because I think they were jumping to all kinds of conclusions. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that area in the back where they did find, so eventually they find Kaylee's body, I think six months in, right? Yeah, after multiple calls to the police, though, by a meter reader who reported finding a suspicious bag off the, to the side of the road. So it took three phone calls for someone to actually come out and investigate this. Two particular things are really suspicious about this. One, we know Equisearch, which is a nationwide volunteer search organization who dedicates people to looking for missing children, searched the area high and low. But as we've established, you're from Florida, you know that it turns into swampland. The searches started around hurricane season, Mm -hmm. tropical storm season. So the area around the Anthony home was underwater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would have been really swampy. And and in that heat and in that kind of the heat coupled with the the, the just vast amount of water in Florida. I don't know if you've ever been, but when you fly in, it looks more like there's just little speckles of land in the middle of all these masses (laughs) of water. So it doesn't take much. I mean, you're talking about everywhere along every side of the road, you've got these, you know, probably retention ponds and these little like two or three inch puddles of water, but it adds up. But water, you know, standing over an area over time is definitely going to increase the the decomposition of a body. Here's a question for you. We can establish, we can agree, water probably covered that area. Mm -hmm. A quarter mile from the Anthony home. A body was found a quarter mile from the Anthony home. How? I mean, that's like across the street, practically. How is that? How? How did it take so long? Well, also, so even if you've got the body in the area where that was underwater at one point, it would, I would assume that if you've got dogs in the area tracking, they would have hit somewhere along the path from the house to that area, and at least, and then they would have stopped. They would have stopped at the water's edge. Whatever that water's edge is, they would have stopped at it. But nowhere around the house did they really hit on anything, with the exception of two places. They hit, on, they hit in the house and by the back of the car, by the trunk of the car, for a cadaver. They also, the first time the dogs went out, also hit in the backyard for a cadaver. When they went back to the house, they did not find. They did not have that same hit. There's some idea that it was that that cadaver was beyond that car. Again, I mean, what I don't understand also, it seems really weird, is that that body, and who knows how long that that time frame would have been because Kate, that the girl, little girl, would have had to de- decompose. Yeah. So 
how long she must have been in the car the whole time and someone has established that she died on the 16th but i don't know if that's actually the case did she actually die on the 16th or was she kept alive for a period of time if you only have the bones i'm not sure how you know that yeah i don't know Obviously, we know she was missing, but that's why for so long, Casey was only charged with endangerment and neglect. Yeah, because we didn't know if he actually had a body because she could have been running around with Zanny the nanny. Absolutely. It's... Hmm. And, and when you talk about the car, so one of the prosecution's lightning rods that they thought would really be the silver bullet to get Casey is that there was significant evidence of... A decomposing body in the back of the car. In the back of the car. Yeah, I think they established that through some, in the trunk. Some gas, right? So, so there was essentially like a stain in the carpet of the back of the car uh, in the trunk. There was gas that was collected, as you said. Right. Probably most telling of all, multiple people reported a horrible smell that is akin to or exactly that of a decomposing body. Right. And it started really when the car was towed. Someone reported that there was an odor. The person didn't, the tow yard didn't know that it was a decomposing body, but reported the odor to begin with. Sure. And then that's when they said they found garbage in the back of the car. Yes. And for, give Casey credit, if, if that, if she did put that body in the car, if she killed Kaylee and she put that body in the car and that body decomposed, for her to have the forethought to then take the body out, put it somewhere, wherever, and then put did it back really in garbage in there. Did you credit? Yeah, well, she must have thought about this because she put the garbage in there to cover up the decomp smell. You know, you're like, well, because I waver here. I say, she's an idiot. Oh, I can't believe, you know, she, because again, I have the fear of being caught in the lie. So <laughs> I, I'm like, kind of, you know, to be so bold and brazen. Um, and then to spin these lies to the point where she exhausts everyone. But she does put some thought into some of this because she's thoughtful about the garbage. She must yeah. have been, she, that wasn't coincidental. She put it in there because she wanted to cover up the smell if that was the case. I think the other thing in the back of the trunk of the car that I found the most telling was that they found hair and that hair had what's called a death band on it. And that death band is only on hair that is attached to a decomposing body. It's the, there's a black line there. And so they found Kaylee's hair because it was that it was the mother line where they did the analysis. So it could only be in the mother line. So that hair could have only come from Casey or Cindy or Kaylee and it was untreated, which means that, so it had to have been Kaylee's. Something but, else I want to mention real quick, talking about giving credit or credits due to Casey. <laughs> she planted the seeds previously by reporting to her dad or maybe it was to a friend that her car smelled like she hit a dead animal or there was a dead animal in there. Well, yes, exactly. She told her dad that two, two, I don't know why two, because maybe one was lonely, but two <laughs> squirrels, two squirrels clawed up in her engine and they got, you know, when she started the car, they got ground up in there. Which is so, a thing that happens in Priuses. That's freaking disgusting. Uh, okay. Thank you. I, why? I, don't look at me about Prius because I love my Prius and there's no room for a squirrel in that engine, by the way. Um, I just heard that that's a thing that happens. Uh, that's freaking awful. But uh, that's what Casey told her dad was oh. when he asked her, because he finally, you know, getting her to that house and like, tell us what is going on. And that was her explain the decomposition smell. Two squirrels caught up in my engine and must have gotten wrapped up in there and 
you know, hamburger meat, gross. She told her friend, Gonzalez, not Gonzalez, something Gonzalez. She told one of her friends that uh, she had thought she had hit a squirrel. So I don't even know why she was compelled to change the story. If she told her dad (laughs) one story about two squirrels and the engine, and why didn't she just tell her friend? It's so many lines. I don't know how you keep track. That's exactly right. (laughs) See, that speaks to how Casey is cunning. But not super intelligent. She's not. Because it's so much easier just to remember one story. <laughs> like, I mean, again, I'm mortified being caught in a lie, you know, so I just don't ever lie. It's, you know, I, I wish I was good at it because I probably wouldn't hurt my mom's feelings so often. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a lot of work to remember lies. Yeah, poor mom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I try to be complimentary all the time to everybody. You know, you know hey. Compliments are free. All right. So back to the, the car, back to the, the hair, back mm-hmm. to the decom, back to all these stories changing as the police go and, you know, continue to talk to the family. By the way, this poor family, it's, you watch the video of these, you know, Cindy and the dad outside their house beating off of, you know, the media because they're just, I mean, word really, choice there. Yeah. It was really awful, you know. They were hitting these people, you know, and they were hitting them back, and they're wearing this Almost t-shirt. Really, yes. It was really awful. The media is either being supportive or unsupportive, but either way, they're getting all this attention that they don't want. They're wearing a t-shirt with Kaylee on it. The court of know. public opinion made their decision well before this went to trial. As oh. with many high-profile cases, it's the norm these days. Awful. That has nothing real. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, sure, Casey's in jail. Go to the courthouse or go to the jail and protest. But these poor, the, the family, you know, I don't know how you, you get through that. And also in this moment are grieving for your granddaughter that your daughter likely killed. Yeah. I mean, that's really, you know, and I think I want to back up a bit because I think we, we can talk a little bit about Cindy and Casey and their relationship now I feel I feel really strongly that Cindy knows something more than she's saying. I think that she realized after a certain point, I don't think that there was a point where Casey could have told her the truth, but I think she suggested to her um, because there wasn't much time where she came home and they were talking about it and then she went to jail. So anything that in her jail time would have been recorded. But I think that Cindy, Cindy and Casey's relationship, they were best friends, like you said. Cindy knew about her not graduating. By the way, let me just remind everybody. <laughs> Cindy did not tell anybody else in the family. She no. lied to the family yeah, too. Yeah, she kept that lie going. Um, and and this is exactly the same thing that happened when they found out Casey was pregnant. Right. They found out Casey was pregnant because she told at first she said, "Oh, you're getting a little chubby. Oh, no problem. I couldn't be pregnant. I'm a virgin." Yeah. <laughs> okay. It turns out it was the immaculate conception. Absolutely. Seven months in. Somebody else in the family mentions that Casey looks pregnant. And Cindy now is blowing it off and Casey too. And she's seven months pregnant. And when you're that little and you're seven months pregnant, I mean, sure, you may look like, you know, you're not really, everybody carries babies differently, but I, I can't imagine. And then what happens in two months when the baby comes out? <laughs> like you still got a reality to this happening. Of course. It is not going away. No. And I kind of feel like that's the way Cindy and Casey, Casey approach everything is like, you know, if you just keep pushing it off, it will go away. You know, and in this case, it's kind of what happened because, you know, her road to freedom, because she was acquitted, I mean, she she pushed through it. Somehow or another, every day she pushed through it. And she created more lies, but it, it happened for her. It's kind of amazing. To me, you know, Cindy not telling the family these realities and then finding out after the fact must have been really hurtful for the family. And then they must not have trusted them. 
that parlays perfectly into where you and I diverge a little bit on this. I have a lot of theories. I wrote several down that I'm going to talk about later. <laughs> oh, because of I course you did. I don't really know what happened, but one of my theories <laughs> is that Cindy knew. I don't think Cindy was involved in the death of Kaylee, mm -mm. but I think she knew. Was she involved in the cover-up or the burial? Maybe, but... Cindy only called 911 to report Kaylee missing after Casey told her brother Lee. Let's think about this. 31 days, the grandparents don't see their granddaughter. They are estranged somewhat from Casey. Casey comes over. They call the police to report Casey for stealing the car. Kaylee is not with Casey. So in my conspiracy theory, if Cindy and Casey knew what happened to Kaylee, it was still contained with the two of them. Then Casey essentially let it slip to Lee that she doesn't know where her daughter is. Now the lid's off. Now, but eventually, now Cindy I mean, can't, she can't continue to hold it in. Because now it's out there. True. I just, I can't, I, I don't understand how somebody could, you live, they pretty much lived, or up until right, you know, right before, or the, I guess the last time they saw them was in June, and then they moved out right, right. after that. So they, she had been skirting them. But the night before she went missing, Kaylee and Casey stayed with the Anthonys. Got it. By the way... Let's back up a moment and talk about how Casey was going to afford an apartment uh, <laughs> because she really didn't have a job. And and I think this is one of my biggest hiccups in this whole thing is how is she going to move anywhere? Does she have a car because she doesn't have any money? If she has money, how is she getting it? It sounded to me like she had gone into the Anthony's house a couple of times and stolen money. But what else is she doing? Well, you can't exist with no money. No, you're right. You can't. But the first week that she moved out, she was staying with her boyfriend. Then she moved in with her best friend. Whether or not there was some sort of a rent agreement, she was going to stay rent-free until she got a job, no idea. Or Casey always has a backup plan. She was later arrested after she was released on bail, which is strange because it was a half million dollar bond. Some random person came up and paid for it. But after she was released from jail for the endangerment of Kaylee, she was rearrested for stealing more than $1,400 and writing fraudulent checks for, uh, from her friend Amy, who she was living with. Okay, hold so on. So her way to pay Amy was to take Amy's money and pay her back with it. Um, Casey's such a dick. <laughs> uh, dick but, move, bro. But, uh, let's go back a moment. Who got Casey out of jail? How is that possible? Who paid the bond? Is that even... Like, I, I'm like... I think there's something much deeper to Casey than we're all thinking about because she's lying. She's able to do this, you know, all these lies. I mean, is she involved in like prostitution? Is she involved in like drugs? Well, what, that, okay. What, it's very you know. fair question. So a bail bondsman named Leonard Padilla paid Casey's half million dollar bail. I don't, I don't get it. Why? So, right. Exactly. I don't know why. I, and was I, he a bail bondsman or a bounty hunter? He was a and, bail bondsman. I'm not sure what the difference is. Okay. I don't really know either. Okay. But... From what I've heard, thank you, Wikipedia, <laughs> and Investigation Discovery, she was a bail bondsman. I mean, we have to give credit to her sources, right? Totally. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, 
half a million dollars. And he's not the only person that posted Bond because he posted Bond. She was released, fitted with an ankle monitor. She was rearrested for stealing the money from her roommate. Now her parents came up with an additional $500,000. Her parents in Florida came up with an additional $500,000. Her parents, the retired police officer turned security guard who wanted to be a theme park character. In her nerd that you can you can't resist. You can't. No. <laughs> <laughs> he missed his calling to be goofy. Clearly. And her nurse mom, a half a million dollars they came up with to pay. How does that happen? It doesn't. It just doesn't. I, I mean, they were fucking driving a sunburn. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you had a half a million dollars, you wouldn't be driving a sunburn. Well, and I'll talk later about how she paid her attorney's fees. Well, I think that's all wrapped up in it is I think she would do anything. And I think she probably was. First off, we know she was spending eight hours a day, five days a week for two freaking years saying that she was working at Universal. Where was she going? What was she doing? At the very least, find another job. What are you doing? How boring is that? You don't it's, have any money. Where are you supposed to live? She was creating emails with, with her oh, fake employees right. at Universal, leaving them around the house. That is so much work <laughs> to keep that lie going, to get up every morning and get dressed. It's just easier to work a real job. It, well, you have money, unless right. you're already getting money. Yes. So that's what I'm, you know, this is a young girl. She's 22, whatever. She thinks she's hot. Uh, in Orlando, by far, she's hot. She's Orlando hot. More, yeah, she's an Orlando eight. You know, she's an LA like four. And, and that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, and good for her. That's great. She, she was in the right place. Um, but I just, I can't, I mean, maybe they took a mortgage out on their house, but their house was not worth half a million dollars either. No. I mean, there, there aren't houses like that in Orlando. Exactly. The far view between. Not for the cop and the nurse. So oh with the sunbird. So it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense, you know, unless these people were going to use her. If they were going to use her for something or she knew someone, something was going on. I think these are worth things, worth things that we should think about because I, I just don't understand how she was going to move anywhere. Unless she just really had no idea. I mean, she never did think about the end game because that's how her lies work. You know, she just thought she'd lie her way until she could just walk away from it. I think that's a trait of a narcissist, right? It's just, yeah, you know, to absolutely disregard, you know, and it, she's, she'll get through it because she's her. It's, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. I mean, I... And, and uh, in my opinion, speaks to also the, the family is protecting Casey. Whether or not they knew anything, they still went out of their way to do everything they could to protect Casey. And that speaks to how she felt she was untouchable. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, she, I guess she had a history of, they had a really fa weird family dynamic. Cindy was uh, definitely the, you know, the queen of the house. George is kind of running around just agreeing with Cindy, which is fine. Uh, I don't mind that relationship at all. But who really ruled the house was Casey. Um, you know, if anything happened, Casey would come in, they would have a conversation. It wouldn't take much to get her, set her off. She would get excited about something and, you know, why are you accusing me of this? I mean, I think they got excited about the gas cans, by the way. Oh, yeah. So I, I think we should talk about the gas cans later, but I just want to remind everybody on the gas cans was duct tape. And that this is exactly the same duct tape that was found on or near Kaylee's body. Okay, so hang on. Let's actually talk about the gas can now, because that's the part that... I can't, I, I don't understand. A big deal was made about the gas can. She broke into the house and stole a gas can, which to me, what's the big deal with that? We'll talk about the duct tape that may or may not tie in later, but 
what was the big deal? So she took a gas can. I think this is the parents trying to maintain control over her. And it had probably had a lot to do with Kaylee because they wanted to see their granddaughter and they were probably worried about her in, you know, Casey's care because they know their daughter. You know, they would try to, they would use anything they could to try to regain control. So if it's as stupid as, well, the only thing she did was take the gas can, then that's all I can do. But I think that they were... You know, even with the car, you know, she was using the car and then when she, they, you know, she pissed them off and they're like, the car is stolen. So I think it was really, you know, and she, I don't know if she moved out because she wanted to move out or because her, they wanted her to move out. Because there was one conversation I had heard where she had told her friend that her mom was making her move out. But I really don't believe that because I don't think the mom would have wanted that little girl to go anywhere. I agree. I disagree. I, I think Kaylee became their world. As when you have a two-year-old toddler, it usually does. Absolutely. I agree with you. And maybe they wanted Casey to move out. But I don't think Casey would want to move out without the little girl because that was her control. Yes or no. I mean, it was definitely her control over her parents. Yes. And that was probably how they were okay. getting money. Yeah, and probably. not at a job. So no, 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 must definitely have, not. And she must have, somebody paid for daycare. We talked about everything leading up to the case. Were you ready to talk about the trial? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or do you want to cover a little more backstory? I think that's, you know, the, the trial sort of speaks for itself, but I feel like that we've, we've already kind of hit the pinnacle. Well, the, the top of this was the lies, finding the child, George, the guy who found the child, and them even suggesting that it was him. Which I really don't agree with. We talked about the proximity of the, the child being found to the house. You can talk about the evidence with the body. I think we should, can we, if we can talk about that for a sec, I think that's worth, worth talking well, about. Well, yeah, so that's essentially what I mean is we've heard all these things about everything that led up to it. And we can talk about the evidence that's presented and some of the inflammatory things that are brought up at the trial. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's talk a little bit more about the body and when okay. they found the body. Perfect. Six months into this, they found the body, mm -hmm. little Kaylee's body. She was in, found, like you said, a quarter of a mile from their house in an area by the road. Florida's pretty much underwater anyway, so it doesn't take much, or under sea level, but it doesn't take much for the water to settle. So I'm not surprised that they may not have found this sooner, but I, I find it hard to believe that somebody, somebody, and for this guy to call twice and, and nobody do anything was kind of crazy. You know, he readily admits that he took a stick and stuck it into the skull and lifted it up to see what it was. And um, I'm assuming that there was probably some hair attached to that skull or some hair matting. That's what normally happens. Somebody, I, I listened to a podcast or I watched an interview with the foreman and he talked about how the pictures that they saw were so grisly. But I was having a hard time with that because I thought they just found a bag of bones. So, yeah, okay, let's discuss that bag of bones. I'm a little unclear on that also because the first two times that the meter reader called police, he reported seeing this bag that he thought maybe there was a body in. And when... <laughs> How they don't go out the first time when there's a body in a bag? Right? A child. I mean, okay. It would have been a small body. I mean, granted, they were probably getting tips up the wazoo at this time going everywhere. Kaylee Anthony sightings. So you have to be strategic in the ones you want to look at. But a quarter mile from the Anthony home, I would think that's one they would put at the top of your list. So you would think. here's my theory. 
He reported seeing this bag, went underwater, went through the winter, water seceded, the bag opened up. So when he came back the third time, the bag was open and he could see into it that there was truly a dead body like he suspected all along. And it wasn't just in a bag. It was, she was wrapped in a sheet or some sort of cover. Yeah, and her Winnie the Pooh blanket. Her blanket, that's right. right. Her Winnie the Pooh blanket. Yes. And then placed into a bag. So it's also possible animals got to the bag and opened it up. That's how he would have been able to, as he said, touch the skull with a stick and uh, manipulate the crime scene ultimately. And I think it was two bags. I don't think it was just one. Okay. I think there was the white laundry bag. That That's it. That's what clearly from the, the Anthony's house. Yeah. Establish that. And then I, either that bag was inside of a black garbage bag or the reverse. But I'm assuming if the white bag would have been on the outside, it would have been a lot easier to see. Yeah, so I think probably, it was the, the black bag is yeah. on the outside. But canvas inside, which, honest to God, that bag, opening up that black garbage bag, it must have been a mess in there. I mean, you've got water and heat, the decomposition. I mean, you've got probably a little mat of hair. Um, something was offensive enough to where it freaked the jury out because a lot of them talk about how, how bad those pictures were. Um, and it was a child. And obviously everybody's really sensitive to that because no matter what, you've got a little bag of child here. Uh, and point of clarity, I'm objecting in the courtroom right now. Uh, <laughs> just want to make sure we're clear on this. Uh, I want to retract the previous statement. I said the meter reader called three times. It wasn't until the fourth time that he called that no. they actually came out. No. Four times. Why? Are you kidding me? Uh, you're the one from Florida. You tell me. <laughs> Even if it's not her freaking body, it's somebody's Someone is there. there. Yeah. And it, it's not like you're washed up on the shore. I mean, I know you couldn't see a lot, but picking a skull up out of <sighs> a stick. I don't know if okay. did, I don't know if he did that the first or the fourth time, but any of those times, like I would have been screaming bloody murder, like get your ass out of here. What would possess someone though to say, I think that's a skull. Let me lift it up. I would do that. I love bones. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I love seeing them on the wall. I don't want it. That's why on the wall. Because they're like preserved. <laughs> decomposing and moisture and and that's a child's skull do you mean like a head wait hold on go back to your <laughs> on the wall is that like a head of like a hunter somebody i don't well no, no. it's halloween coming up right oh, yeah so oh. i'm thinking like full skeleton okay no no i am no. not you're not this is not a doctor's skeleton this is a, 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 a clearly small yeah i know i know I that's mean, my point it's small. That's, i would never and touch that. It's small. It freak me out. It's not an animal. I would probably still, <sighs> or, you know, actually now I retract that. When I was younger, I would definitely would have taken <laughs> it out, but maybe not now because I would definitely have respect for a crime scene because clearly you've go. got human stuff around it. Yes. You can see a bag, which means it's probably in or near it. Right. And then you, you may see the duct tape. That was apparent. It, you know, that, I think what, what, I think what helps me understand that timeline a little also is that duct tape and the condition of the, the bones. Because, you know, what they say is she must have died almost immediately after she was missing because it would have taken that long for everything there to decompose like sure. it did. Right. But I still don't know if they can nail it down to an exact day. And that's hard because when you try to establish alibis, if it happened within a 72-hour range, 
it's hard to establish some of these alibi through that whole time period. So, you know, again, the jurors are really firm that the reason that they couldn't convict her is because they just didn't feel like they were. Whoa, was spoiler alert. I, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many years after. <laughs> and it, Darth they, Vader is Luke's father, too. Yeah, they say, I know. They say that uh, Jon Snow died and came back to life. Uh, That's more recent. You may have just upset a lot of people. I know. I will never watch Game of Thrones again, by the way. I'm not going to go back and rewatch it. How did that show go from being the most popular show of all time to one of the most hated? Because they ruined the end for us. I know. They ruined it. I I really, we won't get into that. I don't don't, don't feel bad for not watching it. That is another (laughs) podcast. Oh, it was a beautiful show. I mean, seriously. Okay, we digress. Back to the case. You know, we've got Casey... In, in jail now we've got the body so we can we started talking about the duct tape and i know this is a huge sticking point <laughs> for you and it was a huge sticking point for the prosecution so i'm gonna let you own this because i can actually poke a few holes in here at least i think i can but i know it's a really big deal for you it is because well let's just say let, let's just establish the duct tape right if somebody's saying oh well we don't know how she was killed what I'm not sure how this couldn't be considered a homicide if you look at the duct tape being on or around her face. So the, holding the, her jaw on, by the, the way. The prosecution's main argument as to how Kaylee was murdered is that she was suffocated with duct tape over her nose and mouth, right? I, I think that that is one of the things that the jury really had a hard time with because that, I think, was a bit far-fetched. I think that they had... I don't think you suffocate someone with duct tape. I think that you put that on to shut them up. Okay, okay. I never so, thought that she suffocated with duct tape. If that okay. was a byproduct of something else, I think that the Xanax was whatever it was. Um, you know, I do think that she was probably given something and she probably, then why would you have duct tape at all? If you put, if she, if she died from you giving her something, what, she wouldn't be awake what's the to point? put duct tape Yeah, on. what's the point of the duct tape? So the body's found, there's duct tape around her jaw or on her jaw. Holding it on pretty much to okay. the rest of her skull. But I don't think it was over at the time. It wasn't actually over her nose and mouth or where her nose and mouth is in her skull. I think a small part of it was, but the majority was stuck up in her hair. Oh, And the okay. way that the hair works, I guess, when you die like that in an outside situation, because I listened to the Body Farm podcast and it's amazing, is that you've got a skull laying on the ground in whatever way. And the hair, when it decomposes, will fall just back. Okay. And just land around it. And it makes like a horseshoe around the head. Interesting. And it's I like didn't a, know that. It's okay. like a hair mat. Okay. So that's where you could even, it's all, you know, because it had been there for so long and that humidity and that heat, you know, it had all just fallen back. So that's the assumption. But that they say that that would have fit over her mouth and her nose. But, you know, you don't know if that, I think, again, I don't think the duct tape was the weapon. I think the duct tape was um, something to try to get, keep the little girl quiet. Okay. And that's the only reason, honestly. And here's the weird part about this duct tape, by the way. That duct tape, that duct tape is not very common. The kind of duct tape that that was used. They found it in Anthony's home. They found it on the signs, the the freaking flyers that they put up around the neighborhood. Was that exact duct tape? Like, are you for kids? Like, what? What? You used the murder weapon if you suffocated her to put the signs up trying to find her? Like, it's just really, really gross and weird. Okay, so you've got the duct tape. So that's my theory about the duct tape, is that I don't think it was used for suffocation. I think it was used for keeping her quiet. But then if she was already dead, why would they need to keep her quiet? If you think it's to help keep her quiet, and I don't think... You you actually might be onto something, because that 
might play into one of the other theories is that there were traces of chloroform found in the car. Mm -hmm. Chloroform is, I don't think, a common thing to keep around the house. It's not. And they found searches on the computer that she had yeah. looked up how to... How, how to, to make chloroform. Yeah, how to make chloroform. Also, and, how to suffocate a child <laughs> and get away with it. Okay, I'm not saying that verbatim, but that's the gist of what it was. She legitimately searched for that. She's such an idiot. <laughs> like, why? You don't need to look that up. Like, what in the world? <laughs> well, okay. It's an idiot. <laughs> I agree. Oh, my God. But... We're jumping backwards a little bit now. She erased her internet searches the day that Kaylee went missing. The family's computer internet was wiped. How would she know how to do that? She doesn't know how to do that. Come on, she had two years of doing nothing. She probably played around on the computer. She had a MySpace page in 2008. No one was on MySpace in 2008. <laughs> That's my point. I don't know. Maybe she did know how. So then how did they find those searches? Forensic, whatever it is, uh, forensic so IT. So she erased it, and then they actually and they dug were, deeper. Exactly. And, and that's the part that's weird to me, because that's one of those moments where Cindy oh, wait, was no. like, you know, oh, Cindy, I was actually looking for chlorophyll for the dogs, and it came up with chloroform. And I'm like, oh, my God, lady, did you just take credit for that stupid thing? Okay, I actually stand corrected. The not, It wasn't erased the day that Kaylee went missing. It was erased the day that Kaylee was reported missing, a month later. Oh, but but who did it, right? Because Casey didn't live at, live at the home. That would have been Cindy and the... Uh, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Why would she, as a grown-ass woman, have to look up how to smother a child? She's not looking that up. Cindy? Yeah, she's... No. You think she's erasing it for, for Casey? Yes. Do you think Cindy knew how to figure out what that history would be if Casey erased it? Or I, what we're saying is Cindy erased it. Cindy I, I don't know if Cindy would know how to do that, would she? What about George? Maybe, but I don't think George likes Casey oh. enough. <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, she really, but you know what was weird about that is they, they appear to have a good relationship. George and Casey. Yeah, yeah for sure. When they're at the jail and they're talking to her and she's like, you know, the one thing I miss most was talking to you. And I'm like, man, you're talk about later, like 10 minutes later when you're accusing him of like molesting you, what, what happened there? You know, he's your best friend right here. And then, in, you know, if, if it serves your purpose, you can say that he molested you. It's really, really weird. And I think that was the, the stra last straw for George is he's like, I have been so good to you and so tolerant. And this is how you treat me. Yeah. I think that's probably a good spot for us to call it for Casey Anthony. We really dug deep into what the evidence was and all the things that led up to the trial, including some of the things with the trial. I think for the next episode, we'll probably dive into really what our theories are and what some of the theories of the the prosecution and what the defense ended up going with. Exactly. So stay tuned, Parlo Scarlet Podcasters. All right. Thanks for joining us. A uh, special shout out to John McGrew for our theme song and Juan Mezzalione for our artwork. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Podcast and shoot us an email at scarletmurderpodcast at gmail.com.